Welcome, everyone. This is ACO Watch, a midweek review with Steve Adams. I'm your host, Greg Masters, publisher of the blog ACOWatch.com, also known on Twitter as Two Health Guru. We're broadcasting today from San Diego, California on March the 9th, 2011. This is the 14th segment in our weekly series that monitors and informs the emerging accountable care organization industry. And joining me today, a special guest commentator is R. Stephen Adams, Executive Vice President, Collaborative Care and Health Improvement for ALIR. ALIR provides healthcare services that are connected, empowering, and smart by actively connecting diagnostics and health management solutions. ALIR gives medical professionals and consumers the tools they need to make more informed healthcare choices. Steve Adams is a leader in the development and management of products and information systems in the converging internet, healthcare, and personal computer industries. Steve founded Reach My Doctor and RMD Networks, acquired by Allier in early 2010. RMD provides collaborative care solutions, a clinical groupware system that enables greater connectivity, clinical data transfer, and collaboration among physicians healthcare providers, patients, and business partners. RMD application is among the first to be labeled as a clinical groupware solution, and Steve's been instrumental in the development of the Clinical Groupware Collaborative, a nonprofit trade group for which clinical groupware companies, for clinical groupware companies where he serves as chairman and president. Welcome, Steve. Well, thank you. Uh, Thanks for the invitation. I appreciate it. Absolutely delighted you can join us today from Denver, California. Steve, you recently gave a presentation. Oh, it's, it's Denver, Denver, Colorado. <laughs> California hasn't taken over the mountains yet. Sorry, sorry, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> a little truncation, unintended truncation there. Um, anyway, yes, Denver, Colorado. Steve, you recently gave a presentation in Orlando at the HIMSS 2011 conference entitled uh, You Don't Need a Complete EHR, The Impact of Clinical Groupware. In a competitive sea of some very large and market-dominant turnkey EHR management companies, EHR companies, this was a somewhat disruptive claim. Tell us about clinical groupware. What is it? And what is the key takeaway message for an aspiring accountable care entity or collaborating group of primary care physicians? Sure. Uh, Why don't I start with a little bit of history? Uh, A couple of years ago, gee, I'm forgetting the exact date, but roughly two years ago, uh, a fellow by the name of Dr. David Kibbe, you've probably come across, um, uh, did a a blog post on the healthcare blog uh, titled something like, uh, clinical groupware, the next big thing in HIT. And in that blog post, he uh, talked about this concept of uh, modular, web-based, less expensive, uh, non-monolithic kinds of applications that, that could work together. And he used uh, my company at that, at that point named uh, RMD Networks as an example. And with that, I had a lot of people contact me and, and say we're interested in this approach to HIT, and, and the collaboration grew from there. David and I ended up uh, doing presentations at multiple conferences, and one of which was uh, Healthcare Unbound in Seattle a couple of years ago. And we had suggested that maybe we get a group of people uh, and, and have a panel on clinical groupware. And so we had 
six or so uh, CEOs of different clinical groupware type companies that um, uh, gave this panel presentation. And afterwards, we all got together for dinner. It was 13 people at the, the 13 Coins restaurant. If you ever want to have a flashback dining experience, it was uh, 1971. I, I remember the specials were macaroni and cheese and turkey loaf. But at any rate, I digress. We got together this group of 13 people uh, in a pretty diverse group, ranging from Microsoft to um, gosh, there was somebody there from Amazon, if I remember right, uh, to some very early stage companies. And we threw the idea on the table of it, does it make sense to put together an industry organization that can help develop a marketplace uh, for modular web-based technologies that can provide an alternative to uh, large, expensive, uh, monolithic EHR-type technologies. So the, the the organization was effectively born that that evening, and uh, we we put together all the paperwork and incorporation and legal work and so forth, and and now our uh, members uh, are over 50. I don't know the precise number today. We're getting more memberships all the time, but it, it it's an organization that is pretty eclectic in in the companies that participate. They range from you know, some of the largest in, in healthcare, such as McKesson, um, to early stage companies, uh, people that are just starting up, to others that are in between in, in maturity. Uh, and, and physician organizations, the American Medical Association is a member. Uh, other technology companies, like, like Intel, is one, is one of our important members. So it, it's an interesting group of people that all share a common vision of uh, a web-based, modular, less expensive approach to healthcare technology and, and growing that market and working in collaboration. And this is a key phrase. Uh, if you, you heard my presentation at HIMSS, I have a motto that's collaborate or die. <laughs> and there's several meanings to that. But uh, one is that businesses need to work together in collaboration to really improve our healthcare system. And, and provide better technologies as a route to doing that. Uh, so one of the key principles is instead of just bloody knuckle competition, let's get companies that can benefit by working together and benefit our healthcare system at the same time. So that's a, a brief background. Back to you. So, so can, can you maybe contrast the state of the art, so to speak, between then and now and how it may have evolved? Um, you mean from when we started the organization? Right. Uh, well, yeah. The, the evolution has been, in the beginning, it was more a focus on these innovative companies that were completely uh, targeted at, at web-based technologies. And so, uh, you know, we had companies like uh, Vision Tree and, and uh, RMD and, and others that uh, were of a certain size. And since then, the tent has really grown, and this is a, a metaphor that uh, our corporate secretary, Vince Caritas, he's a big blogger too, uses is that you know our tent has really expanded to include different kinds of organizations, the Intel and the American Medical Association, and McKesson are all good examples, um, to be more inclusive because we're finding that this is not just uh, limited to 
you know, early stage companies, it's it's well established companies that have had HIT products in the marketplace for many years are recognizing the signposts of change here. And part of that is driven by uh, our high tech and, and meaningful use and the definitions that we're seeing out of that. Part of that is, is driven by uh, emerging models such as ACOs, which you know and love. And, and so people are recognizing that it's not business as usual. So our tent is growing more and more diverse companies are getting involved in the collaborative and are uh, showing a commitment to helping to grow this, this kind of clinical groupware marketplace. So if it's not business as usual, what is it? Well, we're, we're seeing... With, with health care reform and what the Obama administration accomplished is is a very interesting uh, first step towards health care reform. I'm, I'm one that believes that without payment reform, you don't get health care reform. And, and so emerging models like ACOs, I, I believe, are an attempt, we'll, we'll see as the rules get written here, but I believe are an attempt uh, to really get a better alignment of economic incentives uh, for providers, patients, uh, hospitals, and health plans to work together in, in, in new ways. So th- this is this is a, a new model that um, is is emerging, hopefully, that will uh, better promote different approaches such as a modular web-based approach instead of you know client server uh, expensive uh, older technologies in doing so so it's this mishmash of emerging policy uh, the ACO rules as they're being written we think we know directionally where they're going we're not completely clear on world where, where they will end up but um, the obvious need uh, for some restructuring in our payment systems and getting us moved away from fee-for-services and more uh, focused on um, rewarding better outcomes. So uh, all of this fits together. Uh, 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 a web-based modular approach giving choice to physicians in how they can use technology and what technologies to use. Um, I think uh, are are good indicators that that we have a great opportunity to move towards a true healthcare reform along with uh at least some baby steps in payment reform that it looks like ACOs are going to give us. So arguably when you first got together you were minimally uh innovators and transformers perhaps even dubbed revolutionaries has the message gone mainstream and if not why not? Well, I think I think it really has. At least it's on the periphery, and, and, I'll, and I'll give you an example. You know, um, this Hims conference this year I thought was was tremendous. Thirty-one thousand people attended that, and and um, Hims largely uh, represents uh, large HIT vendors, although there are many small ones that are uh, Hims members as well. And what I'm finding interesting is that. You know, Hims is is talking to the clinical groupware collaborative about how we can work together, and there's all kinds of potential. This is is uh, frankly wet clay right now, but you know we're we're very intrigued about how 
you know, what you might call an old-school industry organization is looking to new ways of bringing innovation into the marketplace and recognizing that there might be the need for uh, new conferences. Their HITX.0 is a great example of that. And so we're talking to them about uh, how... Uh, we could work together in partnership um, to provide new venues and new opportunities uh, to expose uh, innovative new models and technology uh, to providers and others that, that have need of that. So it's a, a good indicator that it's going mainstream when you get the attention of those kinds of organizations and, and other big companies. So... How, for other than the HIT expert, um, for the more common, perhaps, physician on the street with Medicare skin in the game or just obviously uh, skin in the game from a practice standpoint, how, how does this uh, collaborative and new new way of uh, orchestrating things disrupt what I'm already used to, what I'm dependent upon? What what are the mission-critical HIT applications that, that are likely to move to the web? Sure. I, I think, you know, we're seeing, and a lot of this is, is being driven by uh, at least what we think meaningful use stages two and three will be, and that is a requirement that there be interoperability, that there be exchange of data, that there be ways of providers to more easily collaborate with other providers. So it's your classic example of the a uh, patient that has multiple, multiple comorbidities and uh, has a primary care doc and sees six or seven specialists, those six or seven specialists may not be in very good coordination in working with the doc, and that's becoming a requirement. No longer can we live in a world where just because one doc is on one EHR and a second one is on a different brand that they cannot work together. So uh, meaningful use and, and the direction that ACOs are headed are, are really requiring that there be that connectivity, that interoperability, and, and the awareness that healthcare is a team sport. These are not, uh, you know, healthcare at its optimum is every provider working together to optimize the health of the patient. People like uh, Kaiser Permanente have done a beautiful job of illustrating the power of that kind of connectivity and the, the you know, vastly better outcomes that they're, they're reaching in that uh, connected model. Uh, others like Geisinger and, and Intermountain and so forth have really, have really proven that the connected care model is, is one that is going to give great benefit to us as a country. Um, so the move towards that is, is, is what we're seeing the federal government promote through their activities in ONC and, and HHS to uh, provide models that are going to reward all participants for part, working in a connected health model. So intraoperability is really part of the problem that we're looking to solve, and it has perhaps something to do with the fact that there is legacy software and platforms out there that just perhaps by design don't talk to each other? Well, and, and maybe by design or by happenstance, but the truth is there are a lot of silos of information that are, are not connected, and we're seeing initiatives such as healthcare information exchanges and RIOs and so forth, all of which have frankly struggled 
uh, to get these connections to happen and have sustainable models that can provide the value in the long run. So we're, we're seeing the movement now by Onk in particular with things like the direct project where, where they are socializing and, and getting consensus from the broad HIT community on standards that can be applied to give us another level of, of information exchange and, and capability for providers to be better connected and patients to be better connected to them. So <clears throat> the Clinical Group Work Collaborative is very supportive of things like the direct initiative and, and other methods of making these connections happen. Because without interoperability, without the, the, the methods to exchange clinical information, that coordinated care team I just illustrated for you, unless you're fortunate enough to be in Kaiser, either as a provider or a patient, and you know they've invested billions of dollars in Epic, and they've really um, come up with a model that is providing that connectivity. Now, the rest of the world, all of those that are not within Kaiser, need to have the benefit of that same kind of uh, connectivity and, and health information exchange. It's one of the fundamental challenges in making this work. So, so who does this favor? Does it favor the mature integrated delivery systems, or does it enable the discrete silos out there, the mainstream infrastructure that delivers health services? Does it enable them to get in the game? Well, if you're talking it as being clinical groupware, I, I hope it's the latter. That you know, I believe the people that have invested in this, the Geisingers and Intermountains and Kaisers of the world, deserve to benefit from it because they've had the vision to see that we need this connected world, this coordinated world um, of healthcare. But I also believe that the independent physician, that one in the you know the the eighty percent of doctors that are in practices of one to three docs deserve to be able to benefit uh, by collaborating with their partners, even though they're not part of an IDN. So I, I think part of what we're seeing in the rules being written by the feds are a stimulus for the ability to docs to work together more collaboratively through using this kind of technology. And I think it's very important that, that providers gain reward from that. Now, we're, we're seeing both the carrot and the stick in the market, right? Um, there's, there's penalties upcoming for Medicaid, Medicare, and so forth that if you don't uh, demonstrate uh, the ability to uh, work in a team environment, that you're going to be reimbursed less. So uh, the economic incentives are evolving, but they're clearly on the way. And I think more and more providers uh, are nervous about that. And, and what does this? What is? What do these requirements? What does meaningful use mean to me? What is an ACO going to mean to me uh, as far as how much money I make? And and I I share their concern. We we need to see that there's a way for physicians, particularly the small practices that can't afford to be part of a large. Uh, a large uh, IDN or other physician organization, how can they stay ahead of the game, uh, continue to make uh, a reasonable amount of money, and and not suffer from some of these evolving structures? We have to we have to be able to help the small physician practice use technology that is affordable, usable, easy to learn, and that they can truly uh, demonstrate collaborative care with. Who's driving the bus? Is this money allocated by the federal government towards an agenda of what could work, or is this granular innovation? 
Well, I, I think what the feds are doing as far as allocating money, I mean, you've heard the story any number of times of the $44,000 for meaningful use, and, and doctors saying, well, I've got to spend 75 or 100 to get that. Does that make any sense to me? Um, but I think ONC is headed in the right direction, at least incrementally, to provide incentives for doctors to adopt technology. I frankly think the overall roadmap and all the pieces that we're seeing fit together here by Ankh are, are brilliant. I, I think a lot of people don't recognize that these things are working together. Everything from a, a beacon community to a regional extension center to the meaningful use criteria and the incentives for physicians are part of a, an overall tapestry that are at least taking incremental steps um, to health care reform and some payment reform, such as we're seeing, uh, or at least we're, we're thinking we'll see, in bundled payment and so forth with, with ACOs. So uh, the feds, I think, are getting the right incentives started. However, this is not true payment reform. There has to be a lot more work done on this and some bold moves to really transform the industry. There's, a, there's an urban myth I heard, or maybe it's true, that in China, um, it, it's not uncommon for you to pay your physician a monthly retainer. So you pay your doctor every month. And then if you get sick, you quit paying him. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> so so the, the real incentive is for the doctor to keep that patient healthy, right? And we need to see more of that kind of incentive for docs to say, you know, I'm concerned about the overall health not just today and this procedure that I'm performing, but now and in the future for this, pay, this patient. And, and if we can see those incentives that reward docs for doing better jobs of that, and that includes better collaborative and coordinated care, working with any number of other providers, particularly on these patients with complex health issues, that they can make more money by doing a better job of that is the right alignment. And, and I think we're moving in that direction, and at least we're getting some baby steps towards that kind of payment reform. So I think the feds are helping in that regard, There's, but it's just a beginning. The, the approach of, you know, is this granular innovation? It is, but how many things we were talking before we got on the, the, the call here, Greg, about how, how social networking and, and some uh, innovations that are out there can truly go viral and be disruptive. I think it was a big contributor to how President Obama was elected with social media. If you look in the Middle East right now, uh, you know, it's pretty incredible to see what happened in Egypt and all these other Mideastern countries uh, that, that have been largely created by people being connected and sharing an experience and sharing, you know, their frustration and, and hopes uh, via the Internet, via things like, like Twitter and Facebook and, and any number of others. So I, I think there is the opportunity, while it may be granular, incremental change right now, who can predict when this can really, quote, unquote, go viral and, and become a new method of providing health care in this country? I'm hopeful of that kind of, uh, uh, you know, very dramatic innovation and change. So are you hopeful? Do you mostly see synergies here in those various pieces in the tapestry that you just mentioned? Yeah, the tapestry, uh, and I was using that as a, a word to describe how these various initiatives that that um, uh, Ankh has put together 
have really been thought out well as far as how they connect and work together. They aren't many people just think they're individual initiatives that that stand on their own. So that that's the tapestry I'm referring to, Greg. Is that I think there is a, a pretty darn well thought out master plan. And while you know many people grouse about. Uh, you know, one example I, I, I think is, you know, ACOs. Here it's not too far off. We're supposed to be launching them, and we're still awaiting the rules, right? But these are complicated issues. And, uh, frankly, in my couple of decades in healthcare uh, technology, I'm, I'm astounded to see the amount of progress that has been made in the last year. It, it's uh, hats off to all the people uh, in Washington who have had a hand in this because I, I don't think we've seen as much progress in so short a time in history. I have to say that as someone who's not a card-carrying HIMSS member and not necessarily inside the fabric of the HIT conversation over the last few years, uh, I was at my first HIMSS conference in Orlando, and, and there is something palpable going on there. It, it's pretty exciting. The closest thing I can relate it to is many years ago when the Group Health Association, the precursor of the AHIP, the American Health Insurance right. Plans entity, used to huddle together as revolutionaries, and it was just at the birth of the, the, the network or IPA model HMO back then, and there was tremendous excitement in the air, and Candidly, I felt the same way about Orlando. There's something going on. And for the untrained eye, it may look like noise. It may look like separate and discrete events orbiting out there in some unrelated fashion. But it actually looks like there is a tapestry there. There are synergies between these uh, discrete components. And there's an overarching purpose here, which is moving the environment into an integration mode. Now, some doctors... Some healthcare entities may not really like that or think that's necessarily a good thing, but uh, I think that uh, integration, whether clinical, legal, financial, is ultimately where we're going with all this. And if those models aren't going to work, uh, I say uh, the private sector is going to be fresh out of ideas out of how to make an impact in healthcare. Well, well, well said. I completely agree with you. If those models don't work, we're all in trouble. Um, and, and, yeah, HIMSS is incredible. Anytime you have 31,000 people together, there is a lot of noise, right? But, but part of what I think we're recognizing here is a more, more willingness for what have been bloody-knuckle competitors to find ways to work together. And, th and this is new. It is palpable. And, and it's, I think, uh, new... Uh, not noise, but but real work moving towards how do we break down some of these silos and, and work together to to improve the overall healthcare system. So w w talk about the collaborator die uh, admonition. <laughs> what, what, what's behind that? Well, I, I always have a quip when I give a presentation that I have a tattoo that says "collaborator die." Nobody's asked me to see it yet, but. Um, <laughs> uh, Honestly, it's more, it's kind of a double entendre where I'm talking about collaborate um, for business. If businesses can work together and improve health care, there is, there is more market for them in doing so. So it's lions laying down with the lambs. You know, people that may have been competitors previously need to find ways to work together. And this just isn't technology or HIT, I remember having conversations with a, a hospital CEO in, in a, a city I'll uh, leave unnamed, but 
you know, truly a, a very big hospital that had uh, competitors down the road, and it's a faith-based uh, hospital. And I'll never forget talking with the CEO of the hospital and talking about how we could provide a collaborative care network for this city that would help connect the various providers, the emergency rooms, and, and get better outcomes and better care for these individuals through coordination and, and enhanced communication. And he said, well, you know, I, that, that sounds like a good thing to do, but with, with no money, there's no mission, and I'm not willing to connect with my competitors uh, to do that. So we need to get over that kind of thinking. Uh, we need to think about collaboration and, and how working together we can still uh, earn money and maybe even more money by doing a better job of collaboration than others. Uh, so the, it, from a business sense, I mean collaborate or die. There's, we're, we're seeing a world grow now, I think, in HIT that is going to require collaboration. And, and uh, it also has the meaning of if we do not collaborate as providers, if we're not working in, in the world of a coordinated care team, the patient-centered medical home being a great example of that model, then honestly we're going to lose lives because of it. People are going to die, and we hear stories about it every day where because one doc didn't know what the other doc was doing, whether it's a medication error or whatever it may be, that, that lives are lost because of the lack of coordination of care. So those are my meanings of collaborate or die, and they're, they're themes that are very important to me and something that I'm passionate about, and I think it's also kind of the roots of the clinical groupware collaborative is to look at both from a technology, a delivery of care, and a business model point of view on how collaboration can help improve our health system. So where's the patient in all this? Is this a system in that's in the middle? Okay. In the middle. This is a, you know, for, for clinical group where it, it is about empowering the patient. So things like the patient-centered medical home, you, you know, we're, we're seeing in any number of our members that are participating and promoting that. And I think uh, PCMH, patient-centered medical home, is a, a model that, you know, has, has its challenges. It's, it's hard to do and, and really implement, but it, the value is indisputable. And, and I see PCMH as kind of part of the layer cake of ACOs, right? I mean, what we're talking about in ACOs are going to require connectivity. They're going to require interoperability. It's going to require coordination of care. So PCMH may be a model that just morphs into, uh, you know, part of what ACOs are in, in the future. But it, it, it's um, a requirement to, to really improve our healthcare system is having the patient in the middle. If, if you uh, continue with the old model, uh, kind of our patriarchal model of, of having patients visit a doctor occasionally and the doctor tells them they need to do this or need to do that and they never connect with that provider again until the next episode or uh, ED visit or whatever it may be, uh, we're not improving the outcomes for that patient. So if the patient's in the center and they have a primary care doc that is acting as their home or their quarterback or whatever term you want to call it, and, and he's facilitating the coordination of care and engaging that patient as part of the coordinated care team, then we're going to have better outcomes. If we do not engage patients, share their information, educate them, uh, make their health record available, 
then we're never going to get better outcomes. Why, why is it that when you go get a checkup, Greg, and, and you reach for your chart on the back of the door while you're waiting for the doctor, why is it that you feel like you're stealing something? <laughs> oh, yeah. Right. It's your right. information. You need right. to have it, and, and you need to be made aware of it, not on an episodic basis, but on an ongoing connected basis to be able to improve your, your individual health. So long answer for the patient needs to be in the center. They need to be an active participant in, in the coordinated care team. So how important is mobile in that in that picture? Oh, I think it's going to be incredibly important. You know, there are so many, and, you know, I've been at this for quite a while, and I remember talking to doctors that, that said, well, I don't have any patients that are, you know, connected to the Internet yet. You know, there's still those. I forget the statistics now, but, um, you know, it's hundreds of millions of people that are connected to the Internet in this country. But the predominant way of communicating now is through cell phones and smartphones. And I think this is going to be the primary point of contact for many, many patients. Others, you know, it's it's all seamless. I don't I don't care whether it's my iPhone or you know my my Mac or what, whatever I'm communicating through. It's all internet connected. Uh, but for a large portion of the population, particularly when we get into the the Medicaid population, the cell phone is the best way to connect with people. So I think um, uh, mobile applications, uh, M Health, E Health, are going to be incredibly important, and I think that is exploding right now. I wish I were in. In the M Health Conference business, right, Greg? <laughs> yeah. It seems like there's one every week, mm-hmm. um, right, right. and it's there's a reason for that. It's because mm-hmm. people are recognizing mm-hmm. that a, a, an incredible way to connect with patients is is how they communicate with the rest of the world, and that's through what they can put in their pocket uh, via a cell phone. I think that that recognition was duly noted by Jane Saracen Khan at Hims, where she said there was forty M Health conferences in the last. I forget the time frame, but uh, really, really. But that's the ubiquitous instrument that seems to be emerging, which really allows the following the patient and putting the patient at the center of of, of the master plan. That really enables that possibility. I completely agree, and, and the way I think of it is an old computer industry term was was unified messaging right uh, what we need to be how we need to be able to reach a patient is through however they want to be reached whether that's you know through texting SMS or a, a website or a phone call or IVR you know whatever method of connecting to that patient works for them and helps facilitate better communication with their providers and their loved ones you know it may be the the spouse at home that, that's helping with the you know the, the the blood sugar readings or the the weight management for a CHF patient, or it may be the neighbor, neighbor next door who's who's helping with the care of individual. All of these people need to have access to the information to be able to appropriately coordinate care, regardless of what channel of communication it is. So where are you primarily optimistic, and given your tenure and, and perspective in the industry, where, where are you perhaps doubtful or somewhat pessimistic here? Um, I am optimistic that the technology is there to do this. If you recall in my presentation at HIMSS, I did a, a polling question, and, and the, the question was, uh, if you had the choice as a provider between purchasing a very robust, rich-featured, uh, end-to-end EHR 
that gave you everything and much, much more than you'd ever want, um, but is rigid, one that is not configurable, uh, you can't make it match your workflow, or a different EHR that was modular and configurable so that you could make it behave the way you needed to make it behave in, in your practice according to your workflow. The question was, would you be willing to pay more for the one that was configurable? And the response was, yeah, I don't know what the percentage was, but overwhelmingly, yes, I would pay more for that configurable technology. Well, the truth is, it can really cost you less because this modular approach, um, uh, this Internet-based approach, reduces the cost of the delivery of this kind of technology. So I, I'm enthusiastic that there are technologies out there that can be delivered now that, that facilitate this modular approach. And it's part of what I think you're palpably feeling at Hims is people recognizing disruptive innovation here, new opportunities to do this in a different way. Where, where I have uh, some, not skepticism, but uh, fears, uncertainties, and doubts, is if we're going to be bold enough in this country to really push forward real payment reform. Because I think without that, the healthcare reform flavor that we're, we're in now is not going to reduce costs over the long run. I think without payment reform that takes us away from a fee-for-service model and, and truly rewards for better outcomes, you know, that's what the path of meaningful use is on, but it's a baby step. Without true payment reform, I, I have a fear that 10 years from now we're not going to be nearly as far as we could have been. That's my big fear. So as a, as a physician, um, do I need to look through this prism of impending change uh, from the point of view of whether I'm in a group practice, a single specialty, multi-specialty, individual siloed practice, or part of a larger, perhaps even hospital-sponsored medical group? It, th does it impact me differently? Well, I think I think it does because you know you need to have the ability whether you're a single doc or part of a large multi-specialty, you're going to need to have the ability to demonstrate that you can deliver coordinated care, connected care. That that ability is is becoming part of the requirement of of how you practice medicine. And and so the question becomes what's my most uh, efficient way of doing that, where, where do I get as a physician the most economic benefit, right? And, and this is what I think is scaring a, a lot of docs about this, this shift and change is, you know, I, I've been beat up already. Look at how my reimbursements have been reduced. I, the commercial payers, I'm constantly negotiating new contracts, and they always go down. Uh, Medicaid, Medicare, I'm, I'm taking hits there. Where, 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 where am I going to get ahead here as far as what I'm making, particularly the poor primary care doc? That's what I'm talking about here, not the, you know, $700,000 a year car. Cardiologist, but that primary care doc, uh, you know, who's making 150 and is trying to pay off a, a student loan, right? Um, it, it's where can they fit in organizationally to benefit most? And I, I, we see it seems like a decade repeating cycle of hospitals hiring physicians 
making them staff physicians, bringing them on board, because as we know, hospitals benefit by, you know, the most powerful instrument in healthcare is the physician's pen, right? And, and the more the more procedures that are done at that hospital, the more money the hospital makes. So I think we're getting into one of those cycles due to all these environmental factors and, and that, that we're discussing of, of hospitals hiring docs. And now we're seeing also health plans saying, you know, it's not going to benefit us if we see all the docs go to hospitals, we're going to have less negotiating power as far as what kind of contracts we have. So some are setting up kind of independent opportunities, uh, you know, extensions of IPAs and PHOs and so forth, for, for docs to have a different model of working together and, and contracting. So it's really chaotic out there right now, and I think the average physician is scratching his head and saying, where do I want to end up here? I like my independence, and I think... I think by nature, most of these small practice physicians enjoy that independence, but they're moving towards where do I get the economic life ring here? And if that means I should go be a doc for a Kaiser, another you know integrated care delivery system, um, you know that I think there's a move afoot towards more moving in that direction. There's also moves afoot for things like ACOs, where. Uh, a hospital system may say we need to provide an organization where doctors can benefit and and we can we can survive and and uh, are are on the way to developing ACOs. I'm also saying uh, physician organizations that are taking that role on IPAs are are really looking hard at how can we become if we've got a 500 doc IPA here can we be an ACO so that we can provide economic benefit to our providers um, and provide better care uh, through more leveraged use of technology to our patients. Uh, so it's, it's uh, wouldn't you agree, Greg, kind of chaotic out there right now? And a lot of it is, is the, the uncertainty of waiting for some of these rules to be written, right? Absolutely. Uh, we all know that uh, we have a very short fuse here now for the remainder of the year before the ACO rules are supposed to go into effect. So uh, in the process of a notice of proposed rules making, I, I just don't see how that can play out in a timely fashion. So there is noise in the market. I think the empirical studies suggest that uh, when you integrate, uh, in some cases you raise prices, and in some other cases you create more efficient, less costly care. So the jury's out, but I think right. integration is, is not a, a near-term irreversible trend. Um, Back to the individual physician perspective, though, can I obtain mastery here on my own in terms of what I need to know so that I make good decisions, or do I need to join an IPA or defer to a hospital system for guidance here? What's your take on that? You know, it really depends on the individual doc. I've worked with so many over the years, and there are docs that, that are such uber geeks, right? They're writing their own EHR code, right? Uh, and, and they may not, they may be clueless as far as business models and how to make more money, but uh, very technologically adept. Other, other docs I've seen are very astute from the business point of view and, and, and do a tremendous job of handling their, their contracts with payers. But more commonly, I, I think those are very rare physicians, right? I, I think most docs are absolutely consumed and committed to providing good care. You know, they sign that Hippocratic Oath for a purpose. They, they want to make a difference. They want to care for people. And they look at, uh, in most cases, I think, the economics and the technology and, and other 
dealings of, of business as distractions and pulling them away from what they do best and what they care about most. So if you, if you accept that argument that most docs are in that category, then I believe most docs can, biz, can benefit from things like IPAs, PHOs, and, and banding together in ways that they can learn about uh, the, the better technology, the better contracting approach, the better methods of, of running their practice and practice transformation uh, from, from organizations that can help provide uh, those services. And, and uh, I, I know there, there can be costs associated with that, but uh, I think if you did an overall ROI, I, I think in the long run, uh, your typical physician would be ahead of the game. Well, well said, Steve, and I want to thank you for your contribution, both as a foot soldier in the cause as well as a as well as a thought leader in this soup of concerns that we uh, that we uh, we face in the healthcare industry. So, again, I want to thank you for your time today. Thanks for joining us, and uh, I'm going to put a blog post up here shortly on how you can contact Steve, as well as perhaps uh, poke into the presentation that he so ably. Uh, offered at the HIMSS seminar at the HIMSS conference down in Orlando. So with that, I would like to um, thank you, Steve. And, well, thank uh, you, Brad. Nice talking with you. And, and, and with the conclusion of the broadcast, we shall return the city of Denver to the state of Colorado. <laughs> <laughs> much appreciated. Okay, thank you so much. Bye now. Okay, join us again next week on ACO Watch a Midweek Review when my guest will be a undetermined guest at the moment trying to get the people from the Premier Collaborative to talk a little bit about what's going on over there, and I've got some things in the fire. So thanks again, everybody. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next week. Bye now.